everybody. <clears throat> How y'all doing today? I uh, <clears throat> I don't know if Val was the one giving the announcements today, so I had a couple of jokes for you, just in case. And the first one is this. You, you learn these when you have grandkids, you see. And you have to answer real loud so I can hear your answer. Knock, knock. Pastor Rich. That's what I thought you'd say, you see, because I've been gone two weeks. You've forgotten all about me. I got one more for you. Knock, knock. Boo. That's what I feel for not being there with you today. I'm really sad I can't be with you, and I really miss being there. <clears throat> Actually, I've been to church. I have to confess to you today, I've been to church already. I went online, and I watched uh, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale service, and uh, it was really excellent. But I have to say that it's nothing like being there with you. It's nothing like being sitting there next to somebody, uh, looking around. Why don't you look around right now and look at somebody's face, look at somebody near you. Go ahead and do that right now. There's nobody here. I can't see anybody. I'm here all by myself. But look around you and see those are the people that are part of the body of Christ that you are a part of and that I am a part of. And so I'm, uh, I'm really sad not to be there with you today. But I have been released to come next Sunday, God willing. Uh, I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 10. It says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We can encourage one another and let's not get up, give up meeting together. Uh, sometimes we, we have no choice, but you know what? I'd, I'd love to be there with you and I'd love to share uh, my heart, my life with you, and and I love you all. So I'm going to let you go because I know that uh, Jim's got a great uh, message from the Word for you, um, and you want to get right to that. So God bless you. I love you all, and we'll see you next Sunday, God willing. Take care. Bye. Am I on? Oh, all right. Okay, well, that's a tough act to follow, but uh, I'll do the best I can. Um, you know, I always, whenever I have an opportunity to teach, wow, echo, uh, I always feel like I should give a disclaimer because when you teach the Word of God, it's just very convicting. And, uh, you know, it'd be better if I could just put a mirror here and preach to myself. Uh, but I just want to share some things that, I, that I'm always thinking about. You know, I, I taught a Bible study in our home for about 12 years, and you know, a lot of different books and a lot of different teachings, and they kind of they kind of start coalescing into some single thoughts. And um, but I just want to talk about what our plans are, what God's plans are, some things that I've been thinking about. Um, you know, we all make plans every day. Some of them we think a lot about, some we don't. If you go to school, you have to think about doing homework, or if you go to work, you make your lunch. What time to get up? Um, you know, things like that, um, and some of them are just uh, rituals we go through, but there's some really important plans you ha have to make sometimes, you know, if you're going to get married or having a baby or getting a new job, you know, th they take different levels of importance, but probably the most important plans I think that we should be concentrating on is what kind of plans we're making as far as being Christians and, and following Jesus, because the world can so easily ensnare us and distract us into those routines and rituals. And we have to keep 
getting our focus back on what is right and what is true. And that is why we come to church on Sundays, uh, because I believe that God speaks to us in, in different ways. I, I think there are things that God will reveal to us when you're faithful in reporting to church on Sunday. God will reveal certain things that he may not reveal in other places. God will also, I believe, teach you when you're alone with him. He'll reveal things. So I think it's a full plate, and I think we really need to put some effort into being in his word, which is really hard because there's so many things that take our time. Being in prayer, one of the most important things is, is talking with God personally. You know, if you have uh, somebody you consider a friend and you never speak to them, the friendships get strained and you lose touch with what's real or what's important. And, and Jesus is our friend. God is our Father and He is our God. And we need to recognize that He's a holy and a righteous God. But through Jesus, we have a friendship uh, with God. And we need to make plans uh, to spend time with Him. And uh, on the other side is, does, does God make plans? Now, when we're making plans, there are so many things that can go wrong. With, with God, he doesn't have to think, well, I'm, I might try this, see if this works. God, God knows all things. When, when God decided upon creation, he didn't have to get out a checklist and, and map out what he needed to do. He, know, he knew what he wanted to do. He knows what he wants to do. Does he have plans for us? What are his plans regarding the church and his, and his believers? And I think about... Um, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. God didn't. God, in His Word, says He didn't choose them because they're anything special. He chose them, and their purpose was to bring the oracles of God to the world, to usher in uh, the, the God's kingdom, and to bring the Word of God to the people, and to and to bring Jesus into the world. But He made some promises to Israel that haven't been fulfilled, and it's not because God has forgotten his plan or God was wrong in what he promised. It's because the Israelites failed to follow God's plan. And when you look in the word of God for his promises, there are a lot of ifs and then. If you'll do this, then I'll bless you. One of the most important things that the nation of Israel forgot to do or failed to do was to keep the 70 years of Sabbaths. Uh, as you know, God has a principle of letting the land rest every 70 years just in uh, agreement with the, the regular Sabbath where on the seventh day you'd rest. And he told them every 70th year, let the land rest and I will provide during that seventh year. You don't need to plant crops or anything. I'll take care of you. Well, they got greedy, and for 70 times, 490 years, they failed to do this. And God was patient all that time, sending prophets, warnings, but they failed in God's plan. That's what happened when they got carried off into Babylon, right? God destroyed the unbelieving Israel, but the faithful remnant, those that still were trying and believing in him, it may look like a punishment they were carried off to, to Babylon, but, but Daniel and Jeremiah and all his friends, no, that was to protect them and preserve them. But God had a promise that he revealed to Daniel because Daniel wanted to know how long they'd be in captivity, so Daniel looked at the prophecy of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 29, uh, 10, uh, here's what it says. This is what the Lord says. 
when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So God had a plan for Israel, but they didn't believe, and they, they were punished. And the 70 years that they were going to spend in Babylon represented the 70 years of Sabbath that they neglected. But God still has a plan for Israel, and that will be completed. Um, unfortunately for them, it's been a long stretch of time, and uh, it will not happen until Jesus returns at the second coming, and then all the promises will be fulfilled. Um, but what about, what about the church? When... Uh, Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He came as the Christ, as the Messiah. And once again, Israel said, no, uh, we don't want you. Uh, we'll set you aside. We're busy with our own plans. And then the, they were cut off, and the church was grafted in. The church was born uh, at Pentecost. But God has a plan uh, for us. And I just want to go over some of the verses um, that God has uh, for us. You all know, of course, uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is God's plan, that none should perish. Jesus came for the whole world. His blood was sufficient for every person ever born that ever died to to be accepted through grace uh, to stand before God uh, and, and be shown innocent of their sin. But it's a matter of free will, of course. We need to choose that. Um, we also know uh, that it says uh, in Second uh, Peter, uh, it also says, Second Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any should perish. So God's plan is that no one should perish, that all should come uh, to repentance. Uh, and again, it's a matter of free will. Another promise that God has for us is in John 14. It says, In my house, in my father's house, in many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. God has given us a hope and a promise. Once we believe in Jesus and have accepted him, the, these promises are, are, are given to us and they will happen. And, you know, sometimes it seems like, you know, trying to... Uh, trying to arrive at, 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 the, at the, the sunrise. You see a sunrise and you want to you drive to it and, 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 and go for it, but the horizon is always stays an equal distance from us. And sometimes it seems like heaven is, is somewhere out there. We don't know where it is, but we know it's a promise that we can, we can grab onto, we can hold onto, that it will happen. And whether Jesus comes to bring the church home in our time or whether the years... Uh, add up, and we go home to be with the Lord, we know that as a promise that he says, absent from the body's presence from the, from the Lord. So that is a promise that God made. God doesn't make promises that he can't keep or that he won't keep. So that, that is a plan that God has for us. Um, God also has another plan. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, but God's plan is that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And why, you know, the question, I question, you know, why, why would people 
neglect? Why would, why would their pride so overwhelm them that they would refuse to bow their knee and confess Jesus as Lord? You think about the verse in Revelation when the judgment is coming upon this earth and people are obvious of who, where the judgment is coming from. It's coming from God. And do they repent? Well, many do repent during the tribulation, but many, instead of recognizing that God is the God of creation and the God of judgment, instead of saying, you know, this judgment is fierce, let me repent and call out to God. What do they say? Let the rocks fall on us and bury us. Their pride will prevent them from bending their knee, but they will. At the great white throne judgment, they will bend their knee and they will confess that Jesus is Lord. But that isn't God's plan. Judgment wasn't God's plan. God's plan is that none should perish. Um, God's plan for mankind was to give himself. That's another thing that is very hard for the world to understand. See, all the other religions tell you what you can do. Here's how you can achieve this goal, how you can attain heaven. And they're also foolish because the standards are so low. Uh, you know, they give you 10 rules and you keep five and that's good enough, maybe five and a half, as long as you keep most of them. You know, you're, you just, you just want to, you don't want to be too good. You just want to be just good enough to get that scale over there. But, but, but Jesus is the one who said, I recognize that the efforts of mankind, works will never get us into heaven. I'll give myself. And that is why the world can't understand that the death of, what is this death of Jesus? What is this shed blood? I, I, don't, I don't get that. I'll, I'll, I'll do, I'll be good. And I won't, you know, rob banks. I'm not going to kill anybody. You know, that's what mankind thinks. And I'll, I'll be, when I get to heaven, God will say, wow, you do a good job. Come right in. That's, that's not how it works, though. But God's plan, again, wasn't judgment. God's plan is that none should perish. But God has a plan in John 1.12. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As I said, God is a holy and a righteous God, and we need to revere and respect and honor that. But he is also a father in heaven. He says, You're a, you have the right to be my children, and we can call out to God, Abba, Father. Another promise God has for us was in, is in 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love them. You know, I think a lot about, you know, what will heaven be like? And I've heard a lot of ideas. People have written books. I've seen videos and a lot of crazy things. We really have no idea. Um, but what we do know is that what God tells us? You can't imagine what God has planned for us. You think back to the descriptions, and there's not a lot about the Garden of Eden, but we know that it was a nice place. You know, the weather was perfect, and you know the the food just grew out of the ground, and it was all nourishing, and you know, it was the animals were at peace with man, and God walked with Adam and Eve. It was a, it was just a great place, and I have a feeling that that nowhere compares to what God has planned for us. When you hear about uh, the verse in John where it says his, his Father's house has many rooms, we're going to live in the Father's house. That is a promise that God has for us. And so, again, these are plans that God has for us, and we need to follow God's plan. It's better than our plan. You know, my, my, path, my path to God 
has a lot of detours because I'm, you know, I see God's plan and I'm thinking, well, this, this looks interesting. I think this path is good. And when I get over there, I realize that it was a mistake. Now, I knew that to begin with, but, but God, his Holy Spirit, he gets us back. Another plan God has for us, it's in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. So what, what's God? God is saying we're saved by grace, and as Christians we understand what that is. That's God's riches at Christ's expense. And we're saved through faith, but where does the faith come from? Well, it doesn't come from us. We don't have faith. I mean, when you believe in Jesus, okay, we do have faith. We have faith in Jesus, and, our, and we do walk in faith. But God's saying, don't even take credit for your faith, because that was a gift from me to you. So God gives us faith, and that helps us to recognize and see that it's the grace of God that saves us. But that's not the end of his promises. The gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And you have to look at the history of the church and understand that there are people whose works are so much greater than some of ours that we could never even measure up to their works. How many of us could get into heaven because we've walked the walk that Paul walked or some of his disciples? Well, we, we couldn't even match up to Paul. How are we going to match up to Jesus? So it's not a matter of boasting by our works. It's a matter of what plan does God have for me? What works am I doing? And I always use, I always repeat myself a lot, I always use uh, Billy Graham. How many people do you think have come to Christ through the teaching of Billy Graham? Millions. Uh, how many have come to Christ through my teaching? I don't know. God will reveal that later. I know it's not in the millions. If that, was the, if that was how I could get into heaven, was to match Billy Graham, then I'm out. So God is not asking you to be Billy Graham or Billy Sunday or Rich Chapman. God, God's asking you to be you, read his word, find out what his plan is for you, and do that. It may be, God may have you speak to one person. He may, he may say, that's what I want you to do. We don't know what that is, and you, the only way you can know is just to follow God's word and walk his path and follow the plan he has for you. Um, so God has ordained a plan for each one of us uh, to walk in. How can we know what it is, and would we follow it if we knew? You know, in the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, there's one phrase that Jesus repeats at the close of each letter. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the Spirit was revealing to the churches what God saw for good in them, how they were following him in his first love. But for some, he said, nevertheless, I have this against you. And so, and that was a an encouragement for them to correct the things that God was seeing. And I think if we honestly looked at ourselves, hopefully God would say, I'm very pleased that you're doing this and this, but over here, I see this area here. You need, need some work here. And that's just God encouraging us to get back on his path and walking his plan. 
So if you have an ear, hear what the Spirit's saying to you. Uh, so there are two thoughts that I get from this statement in, in Revelation here, that God speaks to the church as a whole body in a unit, but also speaks to us on an individual basis through His Word, through His Spirit. There's no secrets in the Bible, no hidden Bible code that we need to go in there and decipher the true meaning there. It, it, it's, right, it's right there in English for us to understand. God's truth to the true born-again church is universal and open to all who diligently seek and search the Scriptures. Now some, as it says, have gifts of prophecy. Now in these days, I don't believe that means any new revelation, but there's some that have a, a gift for looking at the scriptures and digging in and really, really gleaning and getting some deeper meanings. Uh, but we can, we can achieve uh, our own understanding of the Bible just by getting into it and reading it, and God will bring us deeper and deeper as, as, it see, as, we see, as He sees fit. Um, but I, as I said, after teaching you know, for so many years a Bible study in my own home, uh, I, I've come to some basic things. And one of the things is that he desires more than anything to have a personal one-on-one relationship with you. For God, it, you know, God, in 316, God loves the whole world, and God is watching over the whole world. But when you're in his word or you're in prayer, it's about you and God. What he's interested in is you. How are you doing? How is your faith? How is your relationship? What's going on in your life? You know, how are you hurting? What, you know, what do you need? What do you want? You know, God is concerned, and he loves you, just as any friend would, wants the best for you. And he wants to bless you. Uh, he wants us to know him fully. Because our fellowship with him and our friendship with him is something that we will bring with us when we arrive in heaven and stand before God. That is the foundation that Christ built, that we are building on, that will come with us. You know, uh, the things of this world will, we will leave behind. In... Uh, and James, uh, what about works? James talks about works. Um, and that's part of it. Uh, ministry, teaching, helping, caring for others, those are works. God, God could easily do all this himself, and he, I think really honestly, he really does. Uh, but he has chosen us to be his feet and his hands and his voice, and he sends people out to give the message. But it's the Holy Spirit working through his children that, that does these things. Uh, sometimes I think we can actually uh, try to serve uh, God too much. Uh, now what I mean by that is, is we're rushing ahead to see how many works we can do, even though our, our intentions may be good. I've seen people, for instance, I've seen some men who spent so much time serving a church, they were neglecting their families, and it caused problems. You have to have a balance. You need to ask God, what do you want me to do? How much do you want me to do? You know, it's, it's good to do a lot, but don't let your serving God neglect other things that are important, like your family, your children, your wife, or whatever, your schoolwork. I mean, there are things that God doesn't want you to, to fail at your job or school or your family just to serve Him. He wants it to be part of it. And so just be careful uh, before you get into a ministry. Pray about it. Read, you know, read God's Word. Pray about it. See, ask God what He wants you to do. Uh, don't substitute, substitute serving for spending time with Him. You, know, you can get so involved with serving that you don't have any personal time. So don't be careful 
about how you stretch yourself out. You may think that going to church and being there seven days a week is a substitute for your personal time with Him. It's not. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3.10, it talks about um, the good works, bad works. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and talks about the wood, hay, and the silver. What he's saying in here is God has already laid the foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone. And that was the work that Paul built on and and then John uh, built on. They weren't laying a new foundation. They are building upon that. So we need to not start our own uh, foundation. We need to build on that. And the wood, hay, and stubble are works that we think are important, but they really don't stand up to the Word of God. We want the precious gold, silver, and, and, jewel, and jewelry, and stones. Those are the ones, if you, if you notice, are described in the building of, uh, of the New Jerusalem, uh, precious pearls and, and gold and silver, the precious things. Um, now, we don't want our motivation to serve God to be rewards, but there's nothing wrong with understanding that God has promised rewards. We get rewards and you know, in, in school and in athletics, uh, you know, film, you know, they're always giving themselves awards. Uh, they, they love themselves so much. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with reading the promises of rewards that God has given to us. And I wanted to share uh, what some of those rewards are that they might be encourage us, encourage us to... Uh, to be more faithful to him. In the book of Revelation, uh, there is a verse in in chapter 4. It says, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And these elders, if you read the description, they are there in the presence of God. And it says, Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. If you remember Isaiah, again, Isaiah is another person where if, if, if my life uh, had to uh, mirror his, uh, if that was how I got into heaven by being like Isaiah, I, I wouldn't make it either. He was a holy prophet of God. But you remember what happened to him when he had a vision and he saw God? He, he just... He just had to put his head down. He couldn't even look. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I think if God, his glory entered this room and our sin was truly revealed, we'd be truly embarrassed. I know that I would. You know, the world, we kind of compare ourselves to the world and we look pretty good, you know. But, but that's not our model. That's not what we're comparing ourselves to God. And his holiness, when it shines the light on us, is going to show the dirt and the filth that we've let accumulate on us. But here these elders in heaven, they're in the sight of God and they're just, they're just so amazed to be in his presence that all they do day and night is say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever they lay their crowns before the throne. 
that is one of the rewards that we're going to have is to take whatever we've done in this life to serve God. It is a crown, and we will be able to go and lay that crown as a reflection of our love to Jesus. Can you imagine being invited to a birthday party and you show up and everybody brings the birthday person a beautiful gift and you have nothing? You know, it'd be kind of embarrassing. And can you imagine standing before God and you see others laying their crowns at his feet and you have none? We need to be prepared to meet God and show him that we loved him. Um, In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it talks about an incorruptible crown. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So here he's talking about an incorruptible crown now, he, here he says in, a, in, a, in, a, in an earthly race, only one winner. But in God's kingdom, we are all winners if we are running the race. And if we run the race, we get an incorruptible crown. Well, what do we do with that crown? Well, the purpose of the crown isn't a possession. It's to one day stand before God and to lay it at his feet. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Here he's talking about a crown of rejoicing. Now, are you rejoicing when you're in God's presence? Do you rejoice when you come to church or you're at a Bible study? Are you rejoice when you hear that somebody comes to faith in Jesus? You can hear... You know, I heard a story just this past week about the very first man who went to the electric chair. And he was a wicked, evil man. He actually hacked up his wife in front of his child because he hated her so much. And rightly so, he went to jail. But in jail, somebody witnessed to him, and he recognized his evil. And he turned to Jesus Christ, and he was saved. And his transformation was so strong and so striking that, that many, including the warden, got saved as well. And, and, and we can... The world can say, well, that's not fair. He killed somebody. He shouldn't go to heaven. But God's blood, turning to Jesus, that all gets covered. That's God's promise. Now, hopefully we'll never, you know, be someone that has to have that much sin. But the measure of sin is irrelevant. What it is is the blood of Jesus that covers us. So there's a crown of rejoicing when we hear even about a wicked sinner who comes to know Jesus Christ. In James 1, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. Here's another crown, the crown of life, because we have believed in Jesus and we have accepted him as Lord. 2 Timothy 4.8, it says, that there's a crown of righteousness to those who longed for his appearing. Okay? In verse 6 of uh, 
2 Timothy, it says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Now, in, in our lives, we have a lot of different uh, things that we're involved in, in our families. We love our families. We want to spend time with them. You know, I always think about, you know, Jesus coming to bring us home. And I always look forward to that, except maybe on the Friday before vacation. I'm thinking, maybe after vacation, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having vacation. Wait, but that's how we think, you know. Uh, but but are, are we really excited? Are we really looking for Jesus to come back? Uh, I remember when I got saved in, in 1980, uh, that the very first time I went to church, I saw a movie about prophecy and about Israel, and I thought I just got saved in time, that Jesus was coming back. So I've been waiting for him for, for, for 30 years. Uh, but I still feel like it's, I still feel the same way as I did 30 years ago. I feel like it's just there. He's, he's almost here. And the thing is, it's because it's a promise he's given to us, and it, I know that it will happen. Um, uh, in Revelation uh, 2.10, it says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, this was a specific verse. It talked about the tribulation and uh, some that will suffer greatly there. But there are many Christians in this world today whose lives are being given uh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, do not be afraid because you have gained the crown of life. And that goes for us too, wherever you serve, the crown of life. First uh, Peter 5, 24. It says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. God is saying, serve. Not because you have to, because you're willing. That's what God wants, willing servants. People that step forward and say, here am I. Send me. So, as I said, we don't want our total motivation just to be getting from God rewards. But I, think, I don't think there's any harm in looking at the blessings that God has promised to those that are faithful to him. If you do this, then I will bless you. So let's do the if. Let's do the if. Let's be blessed. God wants to bless us. How many of you mothers or fathers don't want to bless your children? You want to give them everything you can without spoiling them. God is no different. He wants to bless us. That's his, that was his main desire, his goal, when, when he created this heavens and earth, and he created us. So that should be our, our motivation. I just want to close, and I always end up 
in Revelation. It's amazing. But our motivation, verse 21, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. and There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That is what God has been wanting since he first started in Genesis 1.1. To have children that he loves, to bless, children who by choice love him, a new heaven, a new earth, no more tears, no more crying. Just what this is the this is the desire of God's heart. This is what He wants. And although, as I said, this world wants to get us off track, and occasionally it does. Come back, get on the path, look in His Word, get on your knees and ask Him, "What, Father, is Your plan for me?" How can I please you? I'm willing. Here am I. Send me. Let's pray. Father, if we had to measure our worth, we would find that we fall far short. But Jesus has lifted us up on the cross with him. And through his victory over sin and death, and through our trusting in his shed blood, we have been forgiven, Lord. And I just pray for there's anyone here, Lord, who hasn't yet trusted in Jesus. Maybe it doesn't make sense. It sounds too easy just to believe and trust. But Jesus Christ is Lord and is not willing that any should perish. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, then we will be saved, Lord. I just pray for each one of us, and myself especially, Lord. I look at how weak I am. Sometimes I feel like I've failed, but I pray that you'd help me not to keep my eyes on myself, but on you, Lord. And just to be faithful in these last days. We pray that you'd come soon, Lord, but we know that your timing is perfect. And when you're ready, you will call us up, and you will call our name, and we will rise, and we'll be with you and forever be with the Lord. We give you the praise and thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song.